diving into data. Diving, di diving, d data. Diving into data with TC Riley. Hello, hello, hello again, everyone, and welcome into another episode of Diving Into Data. I am your host, TC Riley. How are we doing out there? How's 2021 starting for you? Been a little bit of a turmoil and all, but uh, I'll still say we're off to a better start than 2020. No uh, continents on fire as far as I'm aware of, so let's put that in the wind column and keep chugging along with an incredible 2021. Excited for another episode with you guys and be back with you. Our episode this week is going to be titled, That's Not How This Works. What we're going to be talking about today, um, specifically what led me to the today's topic, was a Harvard Business Review article I read. And even though I typically have great things to say about HBR, um, this article specifically highlighted how using data inappropriately can completely delegitimize your argument. Um, it can really actually hurt you more than it helps you if you're not using it the right way. Using data to support and drive your decisions, that's great, that's good, you should absolutely do that, but only if you're doing it in the right way. Data, frankly, used in the wrong way is more dangerous than not using data at all. So uh, we're gonna talk about this topic overall again, This where we'll discuss this article that kind of led me down this path and maybe wanna talk about this week, uh, why this is such a dangerous practice, and uh, we're also gonna look more at what I'm really talking about, why no data is better than bad data. Why would I say that? Why would the data guy be saying no data is better? Well, again, only if data is used in the right way. And we're going to wrap it up with some best practices, some flashbacks to some old episodes and some things that you should be doing to help avoid the pitfalls that this author specifically found himself um, tripping into. So with that, why don't you sit back, relax, grab a drink if you choose to do so. Let's dive into some data. Alrighty, so that's not how this works. Again, what am I talking about there? We're talking about using data the wrong way. And really, again, what led me down this uh, path is a HBR article that I recently read last week, got shared around our company. I checked it out, um, thought there were some good points, but there was something that really stuck out to me towards the end that, um, frankly, really bothered me a little bit. This article is specifically called Nine Trends That Will Shape Work in 2021 and Beyond. Um, fine little kind of prediction article about how business is changing right up HBR's alley. And overall, it was a good article. Uh, and I want to emphasize first off that I have nothing but good things to say generally about Harvard Business Review. Uh, you ask me what publications I trust the most, I get the most out of, I find the most valuable of a magazine type subscription um, that I'm part of that I read. HBR is going to be the answer every time. I love just about everything they put out and I think they have some really, really insightful stuff. So I, I want to throw that caveat in there because... I'm not going to say some nice things about one of their articles here in a couple minutes, but again, I view this article as much more the exception, not the rule. If you don't check out HBR, I highly encourage you to do so. And again, so this article is all about trends in 2021 that are going to shape businesses and uh, even looking past 2021, um, kind of how maybe 2020 and the pandemic have influenced certain things that are going to change a lot. Also, again, I'm not criticizing HBR, not criticizing this author. Uh, I'm, I'm sure he did a good job. I'm sure he feels strongly about all these trends. And frankly, again, of the nine trends, there's probably five or six that I agree with, um, at least, you know, decently agree with, and a couple I absolutely agree with. But one thing I noticed, so throughout this article, I'm reading through it, and overall, there's a lot of really good research data being cited. It's mainly from Gartner. I'm assuming there's a tie-in with the author and Gartner, um, who puts out a lot of great research. There's a lot of great stuff with data. Um, and they're used uh, very well to support the points, different data points that Gartner has collected and able to analyze, pulled out of studies, things of that nature, um, and how they tie in with the predictions. There's a lot of really good stuff. 
Um, and again, and they, they strengthen the argument. It's how data should be used. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm two thirds way through this article thinking, yeah, this is all good. I might not agree with everything you're saying, but dang it, if you don't have, you know, some decent data to support your conclusions. So I, I respect that one. And then I got towards the end. There were two specific data points, the two specific predictions, and it wasn't even, again, the prediction necessarily. It was the way that data was used in the prediction that it, frankly, it just did not connect. There was a, a clear disconnect between the data being used and the prediction being made. And while it's fine to make the predictions, it's a sin in my book to kind of fraudulently use data just to throw some numbers in there, throw a percentage sign in there, be able to cite a study in there to kind of say whatever you want to say. That I, I'm against that. I'm not, that, not cool in my book. So there's two things that were specifically said just to give you guys some context. The one um, little section started with that uh, data point that 68% of employers have added one or at least one wellness benefit during the pandemic. Okay. Yeah. I mean, solid data. I'm sure they did the research. I'm sure I trust that. That sounds logical to me. Um, Two thirds of companies have added something. It's been a challenging year and a lot of companies have had to adapt. Great. No issue there. However, the conclusion from that and the main takeaway that I got from this little section is that companies are going to implement a lot more collective mental health days for their employees. Okay. Um, again, the data point wasn't talking about mental health days. Um, it was talking about wellness benefits of which mental health days are one. Sure. But uh, two thirds of employers adding a wellness benefit during a pandemic, again, very logical. And then being uh, directly tying that in using that as your main support of a fact that, well, companies are going to implement a lot more mental health days. That That's that's a stretch at best. Um, and again, and unrelated at worst. And it, it didn't really make sense. So I read that one and I kind of, that kind of made me look at the article a little sideways, like, wait, what did I just read? And I, you know, Hey, but okay. You know, we're just going to read past. It. I'm going to go on to the next one here and just, it, it's not a big deal. I, I'm still liking the article. It's fine. All right. It got a little worse. So the next point stated that 33% more skills are listed on job postings in 2020 versus 2017. Okay, again, good data point, not something I knew. I'm sure the data is accurate. Um, folks are giving more detailed, skilled job listings. Okay, and the conclusion there is that employees aren't, pardon me, employers aren't going to focus on upskilling employees anymore. That's not important. Instead, they're going to directly look to hire those that already have these skills, or they're going to quote unquote rent employees, think contract workers, things of that nature that have those skills to fill those roles. All right, now this is that's kind of where I draw the line here. So I could get past the fact that a wellness benefit and you know mental health days, again, those two aren't directly connected. There's no way you can make the assertion that there's going to be more mental health days just because employers added a health benefit or a wellness benefit during a pandemic. That, that That's a stretch, but we'll look past it. The fact that there are a data point, like there's more skills and job postings mean that employers are abandoning upskilling employees. And again, this was stated pretty strongly. I'm not looking to, I wasn't looking to pick a fight here or anything like that. This was something the article made very clear that there was a one-to-one relationship with. And at first off, I, I would just like to go on record that I could not disagree with this statement more and this prediction more. Um, I think that the pandemic has frankly made upskilling employees that much more important um, being able to retain employees um, through challenging times and letting them be upskilled, maybe potentially even, uh, frankly, you know, uh, if upskilling enough that you're able to reduce certain roles. Um, it's not great, but it, some companies have needed to make those moves. And if you can get someone to kind of help cover that other, what that other person used to do, um, you see that. Everything I've seen has shown that upskilling is going up, online learning is going up. I throw a million stats out there that show that upskilling employees is not 
uh, going out of style. And again, I, so I'm not, I'm not saying that people won't use temp workers, not that. My entire issue here is that two bullet points in a row, and again, a respected article from respectable data um, from a very respected publisher, we went completely off the rails because it seems like the author just decided to start throwing stats out there and then making assertions without any really connecting them. Uh, this is where I definitely just started blankly staring at the article and kind of didn't lose my mind, but it, it made me kind of like almost had a twitch in my eye. Like, what are we doing here? Uh, and really, it's an example of throwing in data to make an opinion sound supported, even if they're not connected at all. Um, again, I, I'll call it data fraud. That's a term I'm going to use here because it wasn't data that led to it. Um, it was an assertion that was made, and then someone clearly went searching for a data point that in some way tangentially related to it and saying, aha, see, this data proves it. Again, that, that that's a cardinal sin in our profession, I believe, of using data. And that really led me into, again, the main focus here. And the thing I want you to take away from this, if nothing else, in that I feel good as the data guy who wants you to use data to use everything, who tries to use data to do everything I do personally, professionally, whatever it may be. But... No data is better than bad data. Those two points, again, in this article kind of made me, it made the article completely lose credibility in my eyes, frankly. The things I agreed with in the first six points that I felt good about, I was glad I was reading, um, all went out the window because it was such a stretch for these two things. And I'm sure there's some people out there listening that are thinking, man, he's really getting worked up over this. And I want to emphasize that I'm using this article as an example because it, again, read it a couple days ago. It spurred this. It spurred me to talk about it this week. But um, I see this everywhere all the time. That's why I really started this. And another place I see it all the time um, is actually LinkedIn. Somewhere I, I enjoy sharing some things. I'm not gonna, I'm not a you know a massive influencer by any means, but I enjoy LinkedIn. I enjoy reading LinkedIn. I learn a lot of things from LinkedIn, like keeping up with connections, seeing what they're up to. Um, again, LinkedIn, I, I learn a lot from LinkedIn personally. So that that's why I like it so much. But it has almost turned into a platform where all you have to really do is throw a number in your status. Again, a percentage, a ratio, a whatever it may be. And then you can say whatever you want seemingly without consequence. Maybe there's a whole nother argument here about where social media has gone and stuff like that. We'll, we'll stay out of that rabbit hole. But it's fine to use data to support predictions, even when the outcome's unknown. In fact, that's, that's the very essence of utilizing data in a business and what you should do each time. You don't know. Data is to guide you. Data is to support or kind of refute decisions or hypotheses that you have. It's useful and it's, again, that's the very essence of why you should use data is supporting predictions. However, you cannot just throw respected data into an argument to justify your opinion without any regard to how it actually ties into guiding your argument. Again, I'm going to go back to LinkedIn because I see it all the time. I see people throw out, you probably see them too if you're on LinkedIn, the first two lines, what you can see before you click that little see more and you can see the whole novel that someone wrote. The first line is some very valid data point from uh, very likely from a trusted source. Um, again, nothing wrong with the data itself or the, you know, the collection, the analysis, anything like that in any regard. But then they launch into a personal, you know, they hop up on the soapbox and launch into a tirade about something referencing this data point as if this data point fully justifies whatever argument they're going to make it. You know, it, it, it makes it a bulletproof argument. And that's just not the case, guys. You can't just throw stuff in there just because it's a number. And the, the what this kind of, I sat back and started thinking about this as I started, again, this article kind of triggered this. I started thinking about when I see it on LinkedIn, I got all worked up about this. And 
the conclusion I kind of came to is as we've experienced the data revolution over the last 10, 20, whatever you want to call it, years, maybe even just two or three for a couple companies, I've also begun to really notice a trend of what uh, I'll call data delusion. So the data revolution has led to data delusion. Say that one five times fast. And we're going to take it back to a company level here. Individuals are, are absolutely falling victim to this, but companies are too. And companies that allow themselves to fall into the trap of searching for data that validates their beliefs, again, I feel incredibly strongly those companies would be so, so, so much better off if they just didn't use data at all. Because at that point, frankly, you're wasting your time. You're not actually using data. What you're doing is you are using numbers in something that is now, we'll call it the social norm or the business norm to use analytics to support uh, decision making. And you're, you're paying lip service to it by saying, hey, we use data, we're a data-driven company, we're gonna do these things. And then you're not actually doing it at all. All you're doing is searching for a set of numbers that leads to a result that makes you say, aha, see, I told you so. But it doesn't have to be that way. I know a lot of companies that don't do this. Again, I feel very, very, very lucky that I work at a company that doesn't do this. Market scale is great about, um, yes, we utilize data all the time, but we don't fall victim to this mouse in a maze finding the piece of cheese that, aha, finally I found the, I looked at 10 different ways and at least on the 10th time I finally found something that supports what I believe. That's not how data works. So again, this all led me back to, well, rather than just sit here and you know whine and moan about this to you guys for uh, 15, 20 minutes, well, how do we turn this around? So let's go to back and I'm gonna remind you folks of some best practices. These are things, um, I've had a couple episodes that almost exclusively discuss this and I've mixed this into, heck, probably two thirds of the episodes I've ever done of this show. And remind you of kind of the, uh, if you don't wanna be this person, if you don't wanna be this author, frankly, where you write a good article and then let the whole thing kind of go up in flames at the end by grasping for straws. How do you avoid that? First point, data guides. It doesn't decide. So you should absolutely use data to guide your decisions. You should use it to help you understand what's going on. Use it to support or refute uh, previously held beliefs. That's all good, but it doesn't decide for you. It, it shouldn't be an end-all be-all. I don't think I've ever seen an analysis or experiment in a real business setting, of course, there's something we could theoretically come up with, but in a real business setting, I've never seen any data set that has pointed to something with 100% certainty. It just doesn't really happen. There are always outliers. There's always things that you know kind of go against the trend. Um, and again, not to suggest if you, if you have a 99.99% success rate and it's a, a positive predictor, well, okay, well, yeah, I, I would trust that. I would run with that. That's probably a pretty good one. But what I've tried to do, and again, this is something I fall victim to. I, I'm sitting here, maybe the reason I get so upset about this is because I know in my career I've fallen victim to this quite a few times. And what I've tried to do, and maybe I'll encourage you to do this as well, even though it's just a little vocabulary thing you're going to do, hopefully it kind of helps shift your mindset is every time I'm summarizing any type of data or analysis, I try to start it with the data suggests or the data implies. I never wanna say the data says, I never wanna speak in absolute. I never wanna say that the data is making an absolute assertion about something. I'm saying that it suggests this or implies this. It is hinting at um, and you know it's pointing towards something. It is not saying with 100% certainty that that is the case. So. Try doing that. Whenever you're going to use data to support something, start it with the data suggests or implies. Don't says you know. Don't use the term the data says and use absolutes with that. 
That's one good thing. It's actually helped me when I remind myself, I catch myself saying the data says, I say, pardon me, the data suggests, and immediately I have a shift in mindset that that's right. I We're doing something here that is a, a best practice and we absolutely should be using this and it should be pointing us in the right direction, but it doesn't mean that it is 100% true north, always the right direction. So little trick you can use. The next one, correlation versus causation. They're different and you cannot confuse them. So a fair point, and actually this is something my wife brought up to me um, recently. She uh, she went to school for, uh, she's a speech pathologist, and so she went through a, a lot of psychology and things like that where they really drilled this correlation versus causation into their head. And she kind of said, well, isn't that every experiment? Isn't everything just correlation? Can you ever 100% prove causation? And at first I said, well, yeah, you can. And then I thought about it and you know what? Maybe you can't. Uh, maybe there are times. I'm sure there are situations out there where you can't prove causation. But in general, what you're looking for is correlation. And again, that ties back into the data suggests and the data implies, not the data says. And uh, again, I, I always love to throw out these little examples. My two favorite ones that I've ever seen, I think, of correlation versus causation. There's an incredible correlation in the history of the last, let's say, like 500 years uh, of the Western world of when there has been a shortage of pirates, there is an increase in global warming. When you look back at the 1600s, 1700s, 1800s, there's a lot of pirates. There wasn't much global warming. Around the time of the Industrial Revolution and all, pirates became much less common. And ever since then, global warming has been going up. Well, hey, I mean, again, if you plot these on a graph, they're incredibly correlated that, you know, uh, an inverse relationship between pirates and global warming. So, I mean, does that mean that the absence of pirates is causing global warming? No, of course it doesn't. There are other factors here that there's less pirates because there's industrial revolution. There are more advanced ships that are harder for pirates to get. More advanced ships um, tie in with the entire industrial revolution that you know creates more greenhouse gases, yada, yada, yada. Yes, they are related. Yes, they are. Um, there's a reason that they're inverse and they're not completely divorced from each other, but no. A lack of pirates isn't why there's global warming. That's one of my favorite ones. The other one that I actually, I just recently saw this one and it made me laugh, was the U.S. lemon imports from Mexico. If you plot that over the last hundred years or so, it is exactly correlated. I mean, ridiculously so with a reduction in highway deaths. As we've gotten more lemons from Mexico, there are less highway deaths on U.S. roads. I mean, and this this one is really spot on when you look at the data. So again, if I was purely looking at data, I, I knew nothing about lemons or highways or deaths or anything like this. I was just looking at the data and I ran a regression. It would, it, with the data points I had, it would be a ridiculous correlation. You know, we're talking R squared, dang near one. And no, lemon imports and highway deaths have nothing to do with each other. Heck, I mean, maybe you could argue lemon imports, there's more trucks on the road, there's more highway deaths, I don't know. But there absolutely is not an inverse correlation between the two of those. Again, you look at all the other factors. Well, as we've become a more, you know, a global nation, um, as we've had more imports from Mexico, as the economies of our two countries have developed and trading relationships have developed, well, around those same times, these incredible things called seatbelts came out. Um, and in addition, as we've gotten further and further and the global economy continues to advance, we've come out with a lot more safety technology in cars than you know, airbags and all types of great stuff that cars have now. you got a camera every which way in your car. So yeah, th- there, there are reasons that the two are in some way related and the data would suggest they're highly, highly correlated. 
but that doesn't mean that they're actually tied together and that one is causing the other. So all these ridiculous examples to say correlation versus causation, they're different. Make sure you understand that all you are looking at in data is correlation. You very, very rarely, if ever, are actually looking at causation and how you can do that. Um, and I should say, you know what? I shouldn't say very rarely. You are not always looking at causation. We'll just leave it there. Uh, less than 50%. I feel comfortable saying that one. So don't be confused by those. Let the data suggest something to you and imply something to you. The data doesn't absolutely tell you anything. Next tip for you guys, uh, remind you the use a verifiable hypothesis method. That searching I was talking about that I see way too many companies and people online doing where they're searching for data that supports their argument, that doesn't actually tell you anything. Again, you're, you're taking the entirely wrong approach. Set a verifiable hypothesis. If X, then Y. So draw a you know, metaphorical line in the sand that if the results are on this side, it means this and supports what we think. If it's on this side, it means it does not. Use that, because even if you make a really poor hypothesis, at least you're sticking to your guns. And well, how do we, okay, well maybe TCI, I did make a bad verifiable hypothesis. I listened to you, I said, if X, then Y. You know, if we make at least a dollar this year, then I'm gonna make a million dollar, you know, capital expenditure investment. Well, okay, well that, that was a poor decision and hypothesis on your part, but hey, at least you stuck to the data. And one more step there that ties in with that is repeated trials make for a more ironclad conclusion. So um, now let's let's up the ante there and say, okay, a million dollars in revenue equals this, or again, whatever the case may be, maybe that was a poor example, but um, use those repeated trials along with your verifiable hypothesis to make sure you're really following that scientific method. Um, there's a reason that scientists all over the world use it. It works. So make sure you keep that in mind. Another tip. Remember that external factors and variables exist. Again, another thing that I pee people far too often not considering is all the other things. And hopefully, um, maybe the, the, the kind of the, what we've been having to deal with the last year um, and all the external factors that have been present, I think I've actually seen a little bit of an uptick in an adoption or acknowledgement of this, that there are so many things outside of the control. But things do absolutely exist outside of the one independent variable that you're trying to test or you're trying to kind of decide around and analyze. So make sure you understand those external factors are there. They're going to play a part in your decision. It doesn't make it your decision or your uh, conclusion invalid, but you do need to acknowledge them. Acknowledge that there are variables. Heck, acknowledge that there's bias in what you're doing and that that's okay. As long as it's acknowledged, accounted for, and you mitigate that risk through repeated trials through that scientific process, you're going to be okay. It's not a big deal. Our last tip here, and this is one that uh, as I don't remember where I read this or saw this. I saw it online. I wish I could remember who because it obviously made an impact on me and I wish I could give them credit. So whoever you are out there, sorry, I don't remember who you are, um, but assume that you're wrong and make the data prove you're right, not vice versa. I think that is incredibly profound. Again, when it goes back to bias, when it goes back to all these other issues that we're talking about. When you're using data, if you take this approach of assuming that you're wrong, you have a, again, you have your hypothesis, almost be looking or expecting your experiment to um, you know, prove your hypothesis incorrect. Assume that you're wrong and make the data be so conclusive that it changes your mind, not the other way around. Don't go in assuming this and because what you're gonna naturally do, we're human, it's what we do. The first time you see a little bit of something that implies that the you know the data is supporting your argument, you're immediately gonna jump on that, you're gonna run with it, and frankly, you're probably gonna take it too far. You're gonna make too much out of it. So uh, again, assume that you're wrong, 
make the data prove you're right. And I guarantee that you're going to have a lot more success. And then, hey, whenever it does prove you right, make sure you always say the data suggests or implies, not the data says. All righty, folks, we're going to wrap up the episode here. Um, again, today we're really talking about um, the issues of uh, that's not how this works. And you can't just apply data to an argument and say that, you know, it's supported and you have a data supported, data driven decision. Don't fall into the trap that this author did that we discussed today and think that quoting valid data sources from a valid place automatically validates your argument. It doesn't. It has to be connected. It has to be logical. You have to really think about how you're using data to support your decisions and whether it's appropriate or not. Data can provide you so many insights and it can be so, so, so powerful for any and all organizations, but only if you're cautious about it and only if you use it the right way. If you don't, it is a dangerous weapon. It's, 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 you know, it's a loaded gun that you don't know how to use. It's a dangerous thing. Make sure you take that safety course. You know what you're doing with it before you just go firing from the hip. And the last one is make sure you're using those best practices that we touched on. Again, if you want to learn more about those, I encourage you to go check out some of my past episodes where we really, really dive in to those best practices and some of the lessons learned that um, I've either learned the hard way throughout my career or people much, much smarter than I have shared um, and validated. But use those best practices, follow that scientific method, and make sure you avoid falling into that trap. All this to say, after all this, my last little disclaimer here, Still use data. Data is awesome. Data is fun. Data is really cool and can tell you a lot of really cool things. Just don't make, don't let it uh, confuse you into thinking uh, things are there that aren't really there. Appreciate you guys tuning in this week. We'll be back soon with another episode of Diving Into Data. And until then, see ya.